Inner Voice. A heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. Heartfelt chat with me, Dr. Fujian. Um, so great to be with you. I'm a psychotherapist and author and the originator of the awareness integration theory. Our conversation is about what matters most in your life. Our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Many of you have asked about uh, my latest book, and I want to share those with you. So um, the latest book that has been out at this time, it's called Intentional Parenting, the Practical Guide to Awareness Integration Theory with uh, two of my amazing colleagues, Dr. Nicole Jaffari and Dr. Eileen Manukian. Um, you can find this on my website or Amazon. Uh, go to fujanzain.com or Amazon. This book is for uh, parents, for educators, for teachers, whoever is working with children. Uh, we go through every single um, age group, infancy, toddler, um, child, um, um, school age, preteen, teen, mm -hmm. and young adults. Um, and share with you um, how to be with your child um, from the cognitive mm -hmm. level, from um, the um, developmental stages, from emotional developmental stages, and how to work with your children or um, children you're working with and, and teaching uh, from the awareness integration uh, methodology. For all of you therapists and coaches who um, are interested in learning about awareness integration therapy, this is the book. Um, the awareness integration therapy, clear the past, create a new future and live a fulfilled life. And we do have uh, certification programs with different types of courses. So um, you, you go to awarenessintegration.com or um, go ahead and uh, go to um, Amazon anywhere. And you can find not only the book, but if you go to my website, you will also find um, all of the courses that are coming up in 2023 to get um, the um, certification courses so that uh, you can be a provider for um, this type of model. In this episode, I'm excited to chat with Dr. Amy Mednick. She's a psychiatrist and she has uh, her own private practice. She received her medical degree with distinction in research from Albert Einstein College of Medicine and a Bachelor of Science in Brain and Cognitive Sciences from MIT. She specializes in the overlap between the humanities and neuroscience and leads a lecture series for psychiatric residents in training, social workers, and psychology trainees. She's been involved in both brain research and linguistics um, and uh, authored articles in clinical psychiatry news. And we're going to be talking about her latest book, Human, Human as I humanizing, <laughs> humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching, strategize uh, for better virtual connection. And you can get the, her book at htre-book.com. Um, I think we have an amazing conversation about what do you do when you are um, in virtual space all day, whether it's business or you're doing mental health or you're you know teaching or you're in classes, Wherever you are, it's just uh, there is so much more that uh, takes from us, from our brain, our cognitive abilities, our attention, focus, physical body to do this all day. So 
um, she tells you uh, in her book in what happens to your body, what happens to your brain, and what you can do. So it's exciting um, to to it was exciting for me and very knowledgeable to have a conversation with her and actually read her book. So um, I think that you will enjoy her. Subscribe to this podcast and YouTube channel and connect with me through my website, fujanzain.com or any of the social medias. If you want um, to just read about and go through like a workbook of um, the awareness integration therapy, get my book, Life Reset, um, which um, is um, uh, goes through every area of life with you and uh, teaches you every aspect of how to become aware, how to integrate, how to create envisioning concepts for the future. And um, it, you know, research has shown that it has decreased um, depression and anxiety and has boosted self-esteem and self-confidence. And um, I hope that you really enjoy working with it. I love to hear from you. I you, let me know um, your process, um, what you know you like about the books and uh, what you what topics you want us to work with. And um, I just love to hear from you. So contact me. Um, and now we're ready. Here is Dr. Amy Mendick. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Amy Mitnick. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be uh, here. Oh, absolutely. You have um, a book out, Humanizing the Remote Experience Through Leadership and Coaching, Strategize um, for Better Virtual Connection. Oh my God, how much we need this. Mm. Um, you've written this with your co-author, Diane Leonard. It has been... Um, an amazing transition for most of us. I started with doing uh, psychotherapy online. Um, I wrote one of the first books on online therapy in around 2005, which we were mostly going and doing chat. And then it was the video. But I remember that I moved and I wanted for my clients to do, uh, you know, online virtual therapy. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want to. I want this essence of being in the room with you and all of it. And um, so it really took a long time. And then COVID came and it was, that was the only way to do this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our experience changed, right? We went to uh, school. Um, every child went to um, a Zoom meeting, regardless of their age. Um, I teach um, college students right now on Zoom. It's such an odd experience to have only names and dark spaces with only at times voices coming out and you you wrote beautifully in your book about how our brain works what does it need and how it's trying to handle this type of shift that has kind of has been put upon us that although it has created this amazing connection across the world for us and created efficiency in uh, interactions and then yet it has created so much more of, uh, you know, aloneness and not the sense of belonging and confusion and isolation and all of it. So um, please share with us. Yes, I would love to. And 
um, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good introduction to it to talk about things like therapy and things like classrooms, because this is, this is amazing, right? This is, this is a brave new world. This is like, you know, we have, we have so much new access. We have so much convenience and everything is, is great. And we have these, you know, we're doing, you and I were doing therapy online and we're, we're getting to talk to people who may not have been able to make it to our office or would have had to put their kids in childcare or, you know, so many reasons that it is easy to get to us and our, our students as well. And I, I do zoom, I've done zoom teaching as well. It's very odd. It's, it's very much like talking to yourself until you just convince your students, they must leave their cameras. And lately microphones too, because I want to hear background noise, or I feel like I'm, I'm alone in a room anyway. So we have our students who are, can join us from wherever. So, you know, th this is, this is a wonderful thing. There's many benefits. Um, so we don't want to, you know, COVID is, things are better. So we're coming back in person. Um, but we're not going to, we're not going to throw it all away because there's, there's so many good things about it. Um, and so the, the book really wasn't about saying the bad things about it. It was saying just, you know, we are living this way. We are working this way. It's here to stay in some form. Um, so if we're going to do it anyway, how can we do it better? How can we do it in a way that preserves our humanity and preserves our connection and is, is, is good for us and keeps us, keeps us together. So the, the way we kind of went about figuring that out was, and this is kind of the way I think as a scientist, look for the problem. And, you know, as a doctor, like, where's the problem? Where's the pathology? Like, uh, what's wrong? So, you know, we, we kind of looked a lot at things that a lot of people were experiencing ourselves and our, you know, my work and my co-authors work, um, and our clients and our patients and kind of pinpoint some of the big problems, things like extreme fatigue, zoom fatigue, problems with attention, general mood problems, things like this. Um, and we really looked hard to figure out why, um, why were those happening in particular? What was, what was the reason? Um, and kind of, could we identify some warning signs um, to kind of trace back the root of why, of why, why these things are happening? And, and we were able to do that and kind of break it down into these three main needs um, that we, that we focused on sort of as the biggest needs that are not being met in this particular um, arena. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we, you know, when we, when we said needs, humans are kind of hardwired with these needs, hardwired with things that we have to get, right? So we have to get food. So we have this hardwiring that makes us hungry when the food, when we don't have food and, and alerts us that this is missing, I need to go find it. So we have these same needs for, for our social stuff as well, for, for our social needs. Um, and that's because we're social creatures. We need people around. This is how we were designed. We, you know, we're as infants, we're helpless. We, we must be programmed from day one to get people to be around us, stay around us, feel distressed if they're not around us. Um, and all of that infant wiring, you know, doesn't, doesn't go away. It's still there in some form. Um, and so, so the needs that we focused on um, at a, one was at a more basic level, the need for safety. Um, how does that require, um, how does that work on, how does that operate online? How does that kind of work 
when people are not exactly around. Um, the second need that we look at is the need for understanding, need to just um, understand other people, understand what they're what they're saying and what they mean and what their intentions are, how our brains are designed for that, and how it really doesn't work that that great in 2D. Um, and how that can that kind of is, leads to a lot of fatigue. And then the third need that we look at is the need for belonging, which is a little more overt, um, need to be a part of something, need to be part of a group. How does that fall flat? How does that sometimes not get served? Um, and so by looking at the kind of warning signs for each of these needs not being met, you can sort of trace back, where's my problem? Where's things falling flat for me in the remote experience? Um, and of course, that's the first step to being able to fix anything is knowing why you're suffering, why you're not feeling great, rather than just doing your back-to-back -back Zoom meetings, shutting your laptop, walking away and, you know, going to your Netflix and not really certain why you're not, you're not feeling that great overall. So you talked about um, the need for safety is, um, is obviously a priority and, um, and each human being as they enter um, this virtual connection um, spaces, one of the first thing that they try to do is to establish safety. And how, um, how do you see uh, the best way to establish safety as you go into a meeting, as you go into a business mm -hmm. meeting? Whether you are with one individual, how do you create that? And then mm -hmm. you know, regardless whether you're with a group, because one of the important factors that you said in your book um, is that when we are together, there's so many uh, cues that we get from each other, from the you know uh, body language, from the tonality, mm -hmm. from uh, <clears throat> the amount of information that is in the space, uh, kind of like the brain synchronicity that we connect the energies that connect um is it's it's so it's a wealth of information that at times creates our safety the way we position ourselves that we don't have to look especially you know face to face sometimes we are together close and then we're doing an activity together and creates that bonding especially male bonding happens a lot like that right they're mm -hmm. they're together doing something versus you know mm -hmm. like we're just sitting there looking at each other which they might not create that type of safety. What are your suggestions that when people enter this environment, regardless of reason, whether they're students or, you know, for mental health or, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, they're doing family visits on, on Zoom or uh, they're doing business meetings, um, high level negotiations, what is the best way to create some safety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that kind of, that question kind of hits on all the different all the different levels that we look at this at because the 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 basic need for safety is that's sort of on a we consider that kind of on a very basic level you have this fight or flight system you have this this you know threat system to look out for problems and it's it's calmed down when there are other people around it doesn't it that's a sign that things are okay so if you're if you're on zoom calls with people all day and there's there's, you know, faces on the Brady Bunch screen. Um, does your, you know, the question we ask is, does your brain actually know that people are there? Because it doesn't really talk in Zoom language, you know, like, so does it, does it really believe that you're with people all day long? Um, 
And for some people, yes. And that connection and the talking is enough and they have enough kind of on the, the outs, outside of the computer that they, um, that they can sort of get that met. But for other people that aren't, um, aren't kind of getting that met, the way that's going to show up is your is your threat system is a little bit activated. You might not really know why. You don't, might not know why you're feeling hypervigilant or, or on edge. You're just in work meetings. You've been working with these people forever. Like, what's the big deal? Um, but if you're if you're hypervigilant, if you're on threat alert, what that's going to translate into is not being able to pay attention because when your attention is focused on survival, it does all the resources we know get diverted away from higher functioning and thinking and, and complex thinking and things like that. So if that's what you're dealing with, um, then, then we know that your basic need is not being met and you're having a stress response. So at that first level, you got to resolve the stress response. You can't just work through it. You can't push through it. Um, and that goes back to, to basic self-care things that we know from, that we talk about all the time. We just don't always talk about why exactly we need them, but simple things like, like deep breathing and taking breaks and, and being in nature, even looking at nature, um, things that resolve the stress cycle are going to get you to that not hypervigilant place. Um, so that you can feel okay and engage in the meeting. That's if you're on your own. Even better, if you're noticing all, all the time, if you're feeling hypervigilant, if you're feeling lonely, even though there's people there, also, you know, there's recognizing that it's this is not enough and and go outside and meet up with someone or even just, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a meetup. Sometimes I think when we're Zooming all the time, like even going and buying coffee from someone and having, like you said, that actual eye contact and that actual joint attention on a thing and a shared smile. Like sometimes that's just a little, a little boost that's enough to recharge um, that part of that part of things that are missing. Um, and that's really on a very individual level. We can look at things on a, on a, on a team level also, and that's more of your, your need for belonging, your need to be a part of a group where that can sort of be missed when you guys are all meeting together you're all on the same screen but you're not maybe you're not like literally on the same page um so that's something more that that leaders can look at are 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 there are their team members feeling safe um that's talking more a little about psychological safety which is the concept of just you know having a, a group environment where you feel free to make mistakes you feel free to ask questions and take risks um that's really been shown to be essential for for good functioning and among teams. Um, the the key elements for establishing psychological safety, based on a lot of research, um, are that people get equal turn taking. Actually, is shown to be more important than many other things. That everyone kind of has an equal chance to speak, and um, and that everyone kind of what they call emotional sensitivity, everyone is kind of aware of how you feel, kind of has some grasp of it. So those those are key elements of psychological safety, which is a key element of feeling good and having a successful team, both harder, um, both harder when we're when our meetings are virtual. Um, so those are kind of two things that that leaders can do more deliberately. There are definitely ways to be deliberate about making sure everyone, it's about everyone can talk. Like sometimes it's easier on Zoom because we do have to take take turns. So um, you know, just checking in with people, making sure that's happening, and and being more deliberate about the ways that we do that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in your book, you also talk about the six key processes that make attention possible. Mm. And you share with us um, um, in detail about the first two are a little bit more mental and cognitive, which are being alert, alerting and orienting. Mm -hmm. And then the other four are a little bit more um, kind of like action oriented, which is prioritizing, ignoring, switching and sustaining. And mm -hmm. um, and you share with us that successful paying attention requires these levels so it's um like you're not alert you're alert so you're not kind of too sleepy or worked up um that your orientation is uh, with that frequent like you're not you know going all over the place mm -hmm. that you have the space around you um solid enough that you could pay attention and i think <coughs> part of what has happened with people who um around covid time had to have their kids at school uh, kids had were doing mm -hmm. homeschooling they were working from home so they were like you know three or four people doing different things in the same environment and if their home didn't have all of those you know uh, private spaces to be able to do that it was very very hard to be able to uh, not be disoriented by 110 other different things that are happening and um I know myself when I'm sitting here you know my dog barks or he wants to come on my lap or the doorbell rings suddenly or you know there's a noise somewhere and all of these things kind of like constantly are taking you away versus the time that I'm actually in my office you know the whole surrounding of an office building is quiet and it's you know systematized that way so it takes a lot more sometimes for us to be able to uh, hold a solid attention you're talking about prioritizing items and working memory and then selecting which ones and the 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 um, ability to ignore the irrelevant ones and kind of like um, assess which one is irrelevant and and mm -hmm. like switch back um, to what you need to be able to do in order to uh, to pay attention and then sustain it kind of for a prolonged uh, time and uh, for many of these tasks, I think it's so important. I've noticed that when I'm visually at least with someone, although, you know, in, in another part of your book, you do say that visually it overloads us more, but I can pay more attention when I'm with you visually versus if I'm not my, and, and it's just auditory that I find myself doing different things um, and, and kind of like break away my attention into a couple of different tasks versus just, you know, focusing on someone's face um, and, and being there with them. So what are your thoughts uh, about that? Yeah, you, you sum it up really well, the, these processes of attention. Um, and the reason that we go into so much depth on, on what's involved is to really point that out, that there is so much involved, that this is, this is, it's extremely complex, more than we know and more than we could even imagine. So that's why we kind of just, you know, do what you said. We do this, we do that at the same time. We're just in and out. We're doing all these different things. Um, and and that begins to take a toll. We can understand that best when we understand how much goes into it, how much is required of our brain that we need to alerting, like you said, is, is really coming back to that fight or flight response. We need to be in a good, safe calm place to even start this attention process. Um, the orienting for, for me is a lot about 
it's it's orienting is coming back orienting is where where am i supposed to be and when someone's at a podium that's really easy <laughs> when there's someone speaking to you standing behind a podium people are whispering a little bit around you someone's far far away you know there's construction making a noise no one's no one's paying attention to it that's easy that's obvious we all understand what to do we flatten that and it's it's really hard um, and it's hard for your brain to know where exactly it's supposed to point. Um, and the harder things are, the more work your brain is doing. And that's, that's where we get into the zoom fatigue stuff is even though we don't realize how much goes into attention, we're using, you know, all burning, burning all cylinders, I already say it. Um, and so we're doing more work than we usually would because all of these things take a lot of work and we take for granted what happens when we're in a quiet office building and, and sitting at our desk. When we're there, this process of sustaining, it comes pretty naturally. Sustaining is just kind of the ideal. It's focused attention on the task you wanna be focused on for a significant amount of time. Um, that's the goal and that's where we wanna be. Uh, it's hard. It's hard in any, it's hard in any situation. It's hard for, harder for some people than other people. Um, the opposite of that, the opposite of sustaining your attention is switching is what you described doing this and then looking over at that and then answering the text and then checking the email real quick. And then, um, just kind of bounce it, letting, you know, you're, you're listening, right? You're listening to the meeting pretty much. You have it in one earbud or whatever, but you're, you're letting your attention bounce all over the place. Um, and it's another one of those things that we do because we can, um, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. And every switch that we make actually has a cost, has an energy cost. Every time you switch your attention from one thing to another, that's why, um, it can be fatal in, in, um, in, cars in driving situations, when you're not paying attention to the road, that extra time that it takes to switch from what you were looking at to the road, um, can, can sometimes be a, a terrible thing. So, um, you know, I think the bottom line is that we, we think we can multitask. <laughs> we can't, the brain actually can't multitask. The brain can do one task at a time with a few exceptions. You can walk and talk because walking is, you know, um, is you're not really thinking about it consciously. But for the most part, when we think we're multitasking and doing a lot of different things, we're not, we're switching. We're switching from one thing to the other and then back to the other thing. Um, and there's a there's a cost to that. There's an energy cost. There's a cost to the quality of what we're actually doing and to the, to the connections that we're having um, with each other. So, you know, I'm hoping that by appreciating the complexity of this, understanding what each of these processes are that come together to pay attention, that you can start to see, you know, what am I doing um, too much of? What am I doing too little of? Where can I optimize this with the goal get being um, getting towards sustaining attention? And then of course we draw attention to why each of these is harder in the remote experience. Um, doesn't mean we're like, you know, doesn't mean we have to change everything, but when we're aware that it's harder, what can, what can we do? There's little things we can do that make a big difference because every little, every little cost that you bring down takes away from that final, you know, um, sum of, of energy that we're, that we're burning all day long and exhausting ourselves. Yes. Dr. Amy Mitnick, everyone, the book is called Humanizing the Remote Experience Through Leadership and Coaching, Strategies for Better Virtual Connection. Um, 
Now let's talk about uh, some of the suggestions that we could, uh, that you do give in your book about what to do mm-hmm. so that you could be doing this process more efficiently and more taking care of yourself in a sense. And so you have a couple of chapters about wellness. So the first thing that showed up for me is I have gotten backache and a sciatic pain because I sit all day long and sometimes I am on Zoom working with a client and then or a meeting like this and then the next one comes into the waiting room of Zoom waiting for me and at times I don't even have time to get up like when I'm in my office at least I get up I you know every every client that comes in I uh, I go to the door and bring them in and sit down and then get up and take them so you know when you're in an office you walk around you go places I found myself at times sitting for four to six hours, almost like straight, like back to back and just um, barely like, you know, have a a drink, uh, go to get my, uh, like a coffee or or a tea or run to the bathroom and come back. And then by the end of the night, I find my body stiff, exhausted. And um, so you talk about wellness in a way of how to, you know, exercise and how to be there with your body when you are, when you have been, you know, it's a system of just sitting and doing nothing. I mean, you're doing something, but your physical body for a long time. You talk about, um, you know, sleep and uh, important factors, you know, the food intake and everything that can really support you to hold yourself in a healthy place. So can you share a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, you know, really identify wellness as key to engagement. If you're not, if you're not in a good place mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, then it's, it's going to be really difficult to be engaged in whatever it is you're doing. Um, and that, and that goes for, body and mind, right? So everything that you, with your body, it's more obvious. It's obvious to you what you're doing to your back without moving all day long. Um, But the same things are happening, happening with your mind and with, you know, getting tired and and burning out and all of these kind of things. Um, And so the more part of humanizing the own experience is taking care of yourself, because if you're not in a good place physically and mentally, then it's going to be all of this hard stuff is going to be so much harder. It's going to be really unlikely that we can form the connections that we need and that we can do these things that we need to do. So it really starts with maintaining wellness um, in order to, to have an engaged mind. Um, I'd say one of the the biggest things, and um, you alluded to this, one of the biggest parts of maintaining wellness while working remotely um, is, is stopping, is taking breaks. Um, I think it came across in our research as, as really one of the strongest predictors of, of good performance and good health, um, and good productivity, you know, like famous minds throughout history, they have this thing in common that they had blocks of work and then they took breaks. Um, we don't do that because of our, because of this waiting room problem. I, I do the same thing. If someone's in the virtual waiting room, um, waiting for me, I, I click go as soon as I don't want to make them wait, you know? So it's so easy. It's just right there. It's a click. It's amazing what we do some days, right? Where just you're talking to one person and then you just click and you switch and you're talking to a 
completely yeah it's you know mind-boggling what a you know it's already hard cognitive work what we do and so this to switch from one to the other is um is so much and yeah if in the I think in the office you would probably even for some reason I think it was okay to take a minute at your desk before you went to get them out of the waiting room I don't know because they were there because they were comfortable because you both knew where you were we just we just really we don't do it and it's it's that's going to take a toll the um some great research by, by some um, performance psychologists really looked at what a what is athletes how do athletes perform the best what separates athletes and they found it was it was really more contingent on what they did between matches or sets or whatever they're looking at tennis players um what differentiated the really good ones from the less good ones was how well they used their downtime and their breaks and they were the ones that concluded that um this was um jim lauren tony schwartz that for every 90 to let's say about 90 minutes of hard work of any kind you need 15 to 20 minutes of downtime um and so we found that that's that's an essential thing to remember and that we have to drill into our brains when we're working remotely because we don't do it because we we can go for it. we can go for 8 hours straight at these computers um but it doesn't mean that we should so that's kind of an overarching you know goal strategy to to really focus on what you're doing in your downtimes and to take breaks um and then to use your body especially when we're sitting hunched over the computer, um, it's not natural. So obvious, you know, ex things like exercise we, we know is important, um, but it doesn't, if you can't squeeze in an exercise routine, it doesn't mean you can't stand up and walk around. Um, if you, if you take a break or if you walk around in nature or any type of natural scene, um, several studies have shown that that is better for you. It, it calms your amygdala down a little bit more. Um, people in scientific in studies were more cognitively engaged after taking a break in nature versus the comparison group that was like walking down a city street during their break. Um, so that's an easy thing that um, can, can boost, boost the effect even more. Um, if you are taking your breaks like you should, um, and that can be going out in nature, or actually the effect has even been shown for looking at nature. So if you can't, if you don't have any trees near you, even looking at it um, on a picture is better than not. Um, yeah, the reason you mentioned food, like, you know, of course we should eat well, but um, more than that, I emphasize just thinking about even the way you eat, right? So if you're just, um, kind of snacking throughout the day, if you're just grabbing something because you have a minute between meetings, if you're um, not really ever stopping, you're just kind of feeding yourself as you keep working. Um, what kind of what kind of message is that sending to your brain? Someone who's running from a tiger in the, you know, in the caveman days, um, they don't have time to stop and eat, right? They're running, their stress, their stress alert is high, their fight or flight is high. So their digestive system doesn't get any resources. Um, if you are sitting and like closing your computer for a minute and just letting yourself eat your lunch, um, what kind of message does that send? Is that something that someone does who's in a lot of danger? No, <laughs> they don't sit and just focus on their food because they've got a 
you know, run, 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 finish, finish, finish. So these are like small signals you can just, you can send your brain to just to say like, okay, everything's fine. We're taking care of ourselves right now. And, um, this is, you know, this is for, for me. Um, the, it sounds little, but these just, these go so easily when our home is our work, we may be working, you know, out of the kitchen or right next to it. So, um, it's, it's so easy to just kind of let everything blend together and do everything and go, go, go. Um, but all of these things, and we list a lot more strategies in the book are really, you know, essential to pick a few and, and give them to yourself. So you can maintain your wellness. You're going to work better that way. You're going to not going to burn out. You're going to lead others better and lead by example too. So one of the most important thing that I'm hearing from you is to create a structure. So that structure is uh, fitting for this new way of um, being necessarily, because we mm -hmm. always created a structure about, you know, where to go, how to handle traffic, you know, go to the office and everything had its own ritual, right? You first you get into an office and what you do right now, I think we have a different types of ritual. So even for example, as I speak with you, there are signals that are coming that, you know, it's, I have a text or I have an email or I have a whatever. So coming back and as you said, keep reorienting, for example, to what we're talking about, but a corner of my eye sees that. And there's this thing of, oh, I got to get to this. So what happens is, for example, when we're done, automatically instead of me getting up and you know stretching and doing something that I can get myself ready automatically I go because I know that my emails are waiting my texts are waiting all of those are waiting so then you can find yourself you know going into that and then by the time you're done with doing some of that then the next uh, you know it, it's time to go to the next client so if you're not if I'm not disciplining myself to take care of my body and these uh, breaks that you're talking about, uh, being with the with the um, technology that is all encompassing. So it's your socialization, it's your work, it's your information, it's the news, it's every single thing comes through. You know, either your phone or your uh, you know monitors. So it has its way of just holding you uh, unless you discipline yourself in in a systematic way to keep letting it go take care of yourself come back and part of the taking care not only it's your body and refocusing and breathing and kind of like you know coming back to your center but also as you uh, mentioned in your book to include some of this has to be actual human contact with other people so that maybe in the middle you get up and go and get a coffee or talk to someone who is around you or, you know, get out to go where there's human being or make sure that in the afternoon when you're done with work, that you create some social, if you're living alone and you're not, you know, with your mate or children and all that, create some social uh, context that you could be with people. Um, and so you're balancing kind of your life all around. That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think it's essential and it's, it's something we have to fight for because even even though the technology is wonderful and it lets us be connected and it gives us so much, um, there was just a, a way that we used to be that some of this stuff happened more naturally when you were driving home from this, you know, from the city where you worked, you had an hour in the car and you, and even say before cell phones, like 
you just had an hour where you had to not do anything. You just were forced to. Now, nobody wants to commute. We don't want that back, right? But we gave up the hour where you had to just vet, you know, zone out, not think about anything. We gave that up and we didn't replace it with an hour of, you know, relaxing that doesn't include rush hour traffic. There were, there was a lot more, um, I think that used to be built in that would force us to do it. The same thing with, um, the nighttime, uh, you know, I think for a lot of, for a lot of, um, occupations, medicine among, among them 10 or 20 years ago, once you were out of the office, you were out, you know, you'd address it the next day. Um, that's long gone, right? We, we all can access our work all hours of the night. We can, we can be reached. And again, that really doesn't mean we should. And that's a big thing that I emphasize in the book. And with my patients is you have to, you have to shut the door. If you, if there is no actual door, you have to, you have to end it and end the day, you know? Um, and we, we check, you know, like you just said, like, oh, just look at it real quick. But like, you look at it real quick and like whew, your body's back in it. Your, your stress response is back in it. There's no such thing as, as looking at it real quick when you're, when you're in, you know, at home mode and, and, um, and winding down mode. So, um, I definitely emphasize or emphasize and recommend, um, rituals, like you say, rituals are essential. That's how you get yourself to keep doing these things. End of day rituals are so important because we don't have the built-in ritual of the commute and the, whatever was involved for you in that. So you need to replace it. You need, you need your own end of day ritual, um, instead, because otherwise the day doesn't ever quite end. It just kind of trails off and you're kind of always in it and your brain's always kind of in it. Um, so I encourage people to come up with something often when I have patients who work from home, I, um, I try to get them to, you know, get up in the morning, take a shower, get dressed as if you were going to work and then go outside and walk around the block that make that your walk to work, come back home, sit down, do your work all day long, and then walk, you know, go outside and do your walk home from work. Or I don't know, it's hard to do. It feels silly, but it's, it's a really good idea. Anything you could do in your home that would kind of give your brain that message that that's work. And this is home, you know, even if it's moving space, um, and, and being somewhere else, but those end of day rituals, they, they, they work and they, they have been shown to send those signals to your brain saying this part is done. We don't have to worry about this part anymore. Now we're on the next part. Um, otherwise you just, if you just stay in it forever, you're just, we're just talking like chronic stress response and it's not making you do better work. You know, it's not making you productive in the long run, because if you don't have wellness, then you're not, there's only so long you can, you're going to go <laughs> before you burn out. Exactly. And it brings your efficiency down. Mm-hmm. Dr. Amy Mitnick, everyone, humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching strategies for better virtual connections. Dr. Amy Mitnick is co-author of this book with Diane Leonard. Um, Dr. Mitnick, anything we haven't shared that you would like everyone to know? Um, I would say just kind of the, the bottom line and important theme throughout my book and, and my work that I do is just encouraging everyone to remember that our what's going on in here in our bodies and our brains it's so it's so complex it's so like unthinkably complex we 
you know, even scientists have only kind of scratched the surface of understanding what's going on. We think we know because we have these great conscious thinking minds. We think we know um, how we feel and, and, you know, what's going on in our bodies. But it's just important to remember there's so much that happens unconsciously. There's so much that we don't that we don't know is happening that we don't realize is happening until it's, you know, manifesting in a completely un different unrelated symptom. Um, so I think it's just important to know that and to start to explore what else might be going on and to give yourself grace and patience because um, your brain's doing the best that it can. Wonderful. Everyone, you can get the book at htre-book.com. htre-book.com. Thank you so much for uh, the time you've allowed to be with us and share about your book. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. And for everyone out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.